0: Welcome to the Shorthand States here on the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. I'm Simon Delarue and with me is Matt Fallais. And at one point we had a notion that if necessary we might have along with us the new President of Policy and Resources, if indeed that was the result of the motion of no confidence that has taken up all the, of this day three of this late November states meeting. But um, they never reached a conclusion, so we uh, will go on waiting to see if Deputy Peter Fairrush, last night's guest, is replaced or not and we'll wait and see until the 13th of december it drags on matt
1: yeah it does drag on Do you know i think it's uh, it, it it's a bit pathetic really isn't it i mean this motion was submitted maybe it was the first of november very early in november um the states decided they couldn't deal with it at their meeting on the 7th of november but this was would be the meeting at which it would was dealt with this week and now they're not gonna deal with it until the middle of December. I mean, for a, a motion of no confidence to be hanging over the senior committee for what's probably seven weeks, as it will be by the middle of December, I think is is, uh, is is really quite pathetic. And I'm amazed that the states didn't sit late to to finish the business. I mean, I think there were probably only about half a dozen speakers left. Deputy Firbrush had made the the case in defense of policy and resources. And they probably would have finished within, you know, an hour and a half or something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it drags on. Um, there is a kind of sense of uh, of, of um, inertia in government. Uh, Deputy Fairbrush, when I spoke to him afterwards, accepted that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the member spoke for... for, for You know, quite a long time,
0: 27 speakers I think we counted up? Yeah, 27 um, including the proposer of the motion Deputy Charles Parkinson Um, there was um, some concern that some members might uh, uh, would be well advised to keep their speeches brief and in large part most did. Uh, The the two longest speeches which I think were the only ones that went significantly over 20 minutes were one from Deputy uh, Neil Inder uh, of 33 minutes which was not scripted he was sort of speaking off the cuff as it were I could tell. Uh, yeah. And um, Deputy Peter Fairbrush, who spoke for 56 minutes. Now, I did speak to uh, both Deputies Lyndon Trott and Carl uh, Meerveld uh, after proceedings today because that they were two Deputies who had quite uh, obviously been pushing for a result. Uh, Deputy Meerveld was the one who suggested bringing it forward uh, in debate to where it had originally lain. And Deputy Trott uh, no- uh, signalled his intent very early today and that I'm going to bring a guillotine motion at four o'clock please be warned everyone well deputy Fairbrush started speaking just before four o'clock and carried on until almost five um, and uh, yeah so they accused him of filibustering uh, in other words deliberately speaking for too long so that time would run out and if that is true um, which obviously we have we that was that accusation was made after deputy fairbrush had, had left today um, then you know it doesn't reflect very well on policy and resources really no although in I, I didn't put that question to him because I didn't know that that accusation had been
1: made by some of his colleagues in his defense uh, he doesn't need to be uh, filibustering to speak for a very long time i mean i sat in the states when he spoke i think it was an hour and 17 minutes or maybe even slightly longer um on an education debate and he is he is capable sometimes of of speaking for up to an hour or sometimes even longer Uh, So I'm not sure he was it was an organised filibuster. I mean, actually, to be, you know, even if he'd taken half an hour, given the uh, appetite of the states, the lack of appetite of the states to do anything much past half past five ever, uh, you know, they still would have adjourned and and had to have come back in, in
0: two weeks time. Uh, the bailiff did ask uh, members to stand if they didn't think they were going to be able to stay till 8 o'clock, that was his initial suggestion and um, apparently quite a number did, I didn't see on the monitor from where I was so uh, there was an indication there that people weren't, didn't have that appetite to uh, to stay late it, time was that they'd they come in the next day perhaps on the Saturday but uh, um, this uh, bailiff in particular as, pres- as presiding officer Richard McMahon has been quite strong recently in um, discouraging the states from meeting on anything other than an agreed States Day? I guess because, especially on a really important vote like this, he doesn't want certain members to be forcibly absent and then a result um, be changed as a significance of, of their being absent.
1: Yeah, so I mean, the the, the the real question is will the deferral make any difference, or the adjournment make any difference to the outcome? I put that to to um, Peter Furbrush straight after the debate and I got the impression that he was a bit more bullish Uh, But at the end of debate than he was at lunchtime when I when I also spoke to him. And I think there is perhaps a feeling that the tide might move in policy and resources favour. You know, the the resignations first thing this morning of of deputies Mark Hellyer and Dave Mahoney from PNR. And then the passage of time over the next two weeks, I think, might just draw some of the sting out of it. And I think policy... Um, its Who knows? It's so tight and close to call, cool, it's impossible to say for sure. But if anything, I think this, this adjournment will be uh, to the benefit of PNR. Um, I mean, not least because speaker after speaker today, uh, those supporting the motion of no confidence aimed really very pointed criticism at Deputies Hellier and Mahoney. I mean, I'm I'm not sure that anybody named them, although Deputy Mahoney did later identify himself, you know, quite honestly. And uh, at lunchtime, uh, in an interview I did with Deputy Fairbrush, he said the same, you know, that... that, so much of the criticism this morning had been about those two members on his committee, who have now tendered their resignations.
0: Um, yeah, well, I did speak to him after just a short time ago after the proceedings today, and um, you know, I asked him when he decided when when he and Deputy Hellyer had actually decided to resign, and they said this morning at a meeting uh, with their colleagues in PNR, and um, that uh, the aim had been to ensure a degree of continuity while um, you know getting rid of the perceived problem, effectively so uh, he specifically said that uh, nobody in the Assembly could do the job that Deputy Latoc is doing in international relations. Um, He wanted some continuity with the President uh, continuing on and um, with the government work plan debate imminent uh, it made a great deal of sense Mm -hmm. to have the man in charge of that, Deputy Murray, uh, in place so I did say to him, well is it just a coincidence or is there some uh, significance to the fact that it's you and deputy hellier who, who've uh, chosen to uh, uh, tender their resignations given that you are the targets of all the accusations of uh, errant behavior uh, that, w- that we've heard today and um, he just said well look there, um there, there have been some accusations but n- no actual um reporting of me for any misdemeanors and surely there would have been if I had actually done anything wrong he flatly denied there'd been a problem
1: yeah I mean I I must say I think I think it's unprecedented, well, It certainly is in the time I've been either in or following the States, where two ordinary members of a committee have attracted so much criticism from colleagues in the States. You know, I mean, criticism of whole committees is is quite normal. And certainly there have been lots of cases where... Um, the states have felt that if you remove the president of a committee and replace the president, then the kind of the leadership of the committee is changed and refreshed. Those sorts of situations arise, you know, not that infrequently. But I can't remember another occasion where two ordinary members of a committee, um, quite separate from, from the president of the committee, have come in for so much criticism. And where there is this perception that just by those two members resigning that that might be enough for policy and resources to survive so i don't know whether there's any substance or not in in the allegations that were made of, of misbehavior and misconduct but they there were certainly were a lot of allegations by a lot of speakers um and we are you know we're, we're covering that in in tomorrow's paper but but some of the uh the claims that were made about misbehavior
0: were were really quite striking weren't they yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in particular, uh, deputies uh, Adrian Gabriel, um, Lindsay de Somere, uh, and uh, Peter Roffey had uh, specific details of meetings where uh, we heard about um, table-thumping, um, visceral aggression, that sort of thing. I might have been mi- melding a couple of different quotes together there, but that was the kind of picture that was being uh, drawn up. Um, but, you know, regardless of the... Um, the, the degree of consternation among some members and the affront taken at these accusations by those defending them—we're um, just going to have to sit on it now for, until the 13th of December. And, and um, Deputy Mahoney, said, "I, I said to him, well, with a with a motion of no confidence hanging over you and uh, your resignation having been tendered, well, how do you how do you limp through to the next uh, states meeting?" Said, "Well, it's just business as usual. We'll, we'll Just get on with it."
1: Yeah, I I put that to Peter Firbas because something occurred to me, you know, where. Nor, if there wasn't a motion of no confidence in play, the two, those two members' resignations would probably go to that mid-December states meeting. They, they probably will anyway. But that means that um, Deputy Furbrush probably has to be making preparations to recruit two new members and, and other states members who might want to sit on PNR. And I suspect there might be some will uh, have will be having discussions between now and the middle of december so you know that they they will go into that meeting um at that time uncertain whether there are vacancies to whether there are two vacancies to fill or whether there are five vacancies to fill mm. and i don't think that's that's a very easy position to go into you know if the motion of no confidence succeeds on the 13th of december there's probably is then going to have to be a, a a break for a period for potential committee presidents and committee members to kind of, you know, get get themselves organized. So it would have been uh, much more efficient if they'd been able to finish the, the motion of no confidence business
0: Tonight, yeah. uh, do you know, if I was in Deputy Fairbrush's shoes, I, I, I might actually be tempted to go to one of the waverers over this motion of no confidence and say, oh, do you fancy being on PNR, you know, and perhaps you could uh, vote for me and you'll, you'll stay on. I'm sure Deputy Fairbrush isn't remotely as nefarious as, as my imagination, um, so I'm sure he wouldn't do anything like that. But I think we'll, we'll see.
1: he's going to have to try and bring in, if, if PNR survives and they're looking for two new members, I think he's going to have to bring in two members who voted who will vote against PNR so vote in favour of the motion of no confidence isn't it because if he recruits two members who backed PNR in the no confidence debate it's not going to look like you know reaching across to the other side of the assembly which I know is is something that he is keen to try to do so um yeah there will be he will have to have quite serious discussions over the next two weeks with members who uh you know who, who he might think of bringing onto that committee
0: yeah, indeed. And uh well um, in the meantime, we uh, have to, you know, uh, cover other stories and think about, uh, you know, the government work plan debate that's coming up and all the other items that uh, are around the schedule that just seem to be stymied somewhat. You know, there was a reference by Deputy Aidan Matthews uh, today to this being the worst states ever. It's something we normally hear from members of the public. We don't often hear it directly from deputies themselves. He did admit that he, as a member, was as culpable as <laughs> anyone else in that regard. But, you know, for the first time, I've never said this on air, despite all my years as journalist, the first time i found myself thinking yeah you're right this is the worst states ever i cannot remember um them being stuck in the mud to this degree uh before and i don't necessarily blame the individuals either i I honestly think the um the, the introduction of the government work plan another sort of massive behemoth um, uh, mechanism for sorting out priorities, which is then immediately forgotten as soon as you get into the next debate, has just slowed everything up. And um, it, yeah, it, it's, it's it's all a mess. It's it's achieved certain things, and it looked like going going places early on. But anyway, uh, we'll let's save that, shall we, for for the next uh, debate if we get to the government work plan in that one. But uh, well, let's hope so. Uh yes well it's been uh, it's been quite a week and after 3 days of uh, lots of talk we've uh, what have we got increased property taxes that's the main thing really and uh, lots of political machinations which we'll uh, talk all about next time round but uh, anyway that's it from the shorthand states from the sunken gardens for this evening from myself and that it's good night good night